Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. This is a podcast that's designed to simplify the complex job of managing and leading and trying to engage your people. We try to promise you at least one proven, practical idea that will help you run a more successful and sustainable business. If you'll stay with us for about 30 minutes today, I'm almost certain to guarantee we're going to get one from this guest. He's got a lot of great qualities. One of them is he is genuinely interested in other people. Unlike some that are skilled at giving the illusion of concern, he is genuinely interested in others. I find him to be very patient. I think he's able to wait when others might not in appropriate places and times and gets better results because of it. He's a wonderful listener. He's resolute. He stands firm when he's made up his mind. You're not probably going to be able to bribe him to change it. And he's genuinely funny. He has a dry wit. And uh, I hope you'll get to experience it today as we have him. He's Andy Follows. Andy, your experience with me is I don't know how long. So you're going to have to tell the audience, when did we first meet? Hi, Ed. Thank you very much for having me. I love being introduced as funny. You know, that's really helpful. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just put that out there. Well, you are. I'm not saying you're a comedian, but you're genuinely funny. I, I, <laughs> I, you and I never talk when we don't actually laugh and laugh hard about something. So it's, I find it part of your DNA. So I think the audience will pick up on that. When did we first meet? I hope so. It was 2006. Did I have hair? Yeah, a bit more than now, I think. It was November. Okay. It was Monday the 27th at 9 a.m. <laughs> I'm a bit hurt that you don't remember. It's obviously an anniversary that uh, I've been celebrating on my own all these years. <laughs> you remember the date and Should the I time? Should I give you a clue? Should I give you a clue? It, to be fair, as first dates go, it was an amazing location. Oh, that was South Africa? It was South Africa. Oh, you were in that batch of pirates. Okay. Yeah. If I hadn't, you know, if there hadn't been 15 other people, maybe you'd have remembered, but <laughs> it was the Entebbeni Game Reserve oh in my. South Africa. Oh, my. Yeah, where the rat crawled across the ceiling every day about 2 p.m. in the afternoon, and the monkeys, <laughs> the monkeys would come in and grab things off the table in the morning. <laughs> it was an amazing location. You know why you were there. You were there developing leaders, and I was there because I was about to move with my family from the U.K., to Singapore. That's right. To start a new job in the Asia Pacific region. And my new top boss, Alan Crooks, who you've had as a guest, he'd arranged for, for me to be on this program to meet some of my new colleagues and to get a tune up from yourself. <laughs> we could just dedicate the whole rest of this 30 minutes to the experiences we had during those three days or four days, whatever it was. Absolutely. It was such a remarkable venue. And as I've described to other folks when asked to tell a little bit about it, it was actually when we were out seeing the preserve 25,000 acres for our listeners, it was spiritual. It was absolutely moving to be where we were and to see the ancient age of the terrain and just to imagine what else had been there and come and gone. And it was fascinating. So what a wonderful way. So now, now we've clarified when and where, 
what's the journey you've been on since 2006? You've, you've not stayed static, I think it's safe to say. So that was a big move for us to move from the UK to Singapore. And we spent three and a half years there. I did a lot of travel around the region in that time with BMW. I was with BMW then. And then we moved to New Zealand. Um, opportunity came up for a role in New Zealand. So whole family moved down there to Auckland. And that was so wonderful. We spent four and a half years there. And then I have been in and out with you during that time, working quite closely from time to time. And I I was evolving as a as a as a person and growing up and realizing what I wanted to do and uh, decided at some point that you know when I thought ahead to my future the vision visioning I did it didn't involve staying where I was and carrying on it didn't involve the trajectory I was on it I needed to change and uh, I started to think about doing other things and I got an opportunity to move back to the UK to join Tesla when it was still you still had to tell people what Tesla was <laughs> then you had to say it's an electric car company based in California. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I got an opportunity to join Tesla back in the UK, and I came back here. Then that's uh, five years ago, six years ago. When you said you grew up and you thought more, and my words, not yours, but you kind of figured out what you were supposed to be doing, did you get more clarity from figuring out what you shouldn't do or more clarity from what you should do? A bit of both. So I spent quite a lot of time working on, you know, I did assessments with you. I did strength finder assessments. I was very curious, very introspective, spent a lot of time reflecting, worked out what are the activities that I really love doing? What activities do I do make me feel really strong? And equally, what activities just take it all out of me? Where do I die inside, you know, when I'm doing these things? And how could I possibly create a role for myself where I was spending as much time as possible doing things that I love and felt good at and made me feel strong and as little time as possible doing stuff that uh, made me want to, you know, curl up and and die. So, (laughs) And did we have a lunch in Tokyo? Do I recall that correctly? Yeah, you're close. We had a dinner. A dinner? A dinner. Okay. Yeah. I knew it was, but it was the top of a very tall building. It was. It was Thursday, the 29th of March, 2012. <laughs> All right. And in that dinner, what was important that night? Well, we were in Tokyo and we were working together on something called One Team. So we had brought together the leadership teams from the BMW financial services business in Japan in Australia and myself from New Zealand. And we were working out how we could work more closely together and you were facilitating that session. And we had dinner at the end of it, so on the final night. And yeah, it was it was good. I remember, well, I don't remember, but I, um, I keep a journal, Ed. So um, that's kind of why I know some of these things. <laughs> I don't, I don't have a particularly good memory. I just write everything down. And, and you started that dinner by saying, Andy, you could have facilitated, I reckon you could have facilitated these last three days as well as I have. Yeah. And uh, I was obviously very excited about that because I'd already by then started to think this was the direction I wanted to go into. But when I met you and got to know you, Ed, I probably said this, I must have said this before. I thought, yeah, okay, when I grow up, I want to be Ed Epley. Still working at it. Still working at it. I just want to grow up. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I wanted to be a trusted advisor to CEOs. I wanted to help them. I wanted to work with their leadership teams, make them stronger, 
help them grow their people and get better results for their businesses. So when I sat down with you for dinner that night and uh, you said you thought I was on the way, that was hugely encouraging and noteworthy enough for me to write it down in my journal. But it was also, hang on, did you have a reason for raising this dinner? Well, it's one of the, when I think about my time with you, obviously I didn't remember when we met, but this dinner was it imprinted on my mind. And to me, it was one of those where I kind of felt like I was chastising you in an appropriate way that you need to get on with your life and not stay in this automotive finance world and, and, and go do what you were more meant to do. And that's why I, it's stuck in my mind. And I, I felt I was a little tough on you. I, I don't know that I was, but that's what sticks in my mind. Well, no, that's good. You, I did not take it the wrong way at all. I was very positive about that dinner and that you were encouraging me. You said you'd been talking to my boss about what I should do next and opportunities with bigger markets, or you'd actually have me moving around the region helping CEOs with different projects. Um, You thought I'd be well suited to that. But I think we also, as you say, we had an off-the-record conversation because you were talking to me in a professional capacity as well at at the time. Right. We we had an off-the-record conversation about, but if you really want to, you know, stop messing about, Andy, and do what you're supposed to be doing, then you would support me in that. But I remember you were also feeding back on my Perth assessment. Uh, so we'd done in January of that year, we'd That's done right. the Perth, Perth Leadership Institute assessments. And I know Dr. Ted Prince has been on the show as well. And he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. And uh, you were feeding back. And it was great news in a way, because we'd done the assessment. And I was I was coming out of the assessment I was behaving in exactly the way that uh, you yeah. and Alan and the team had decided was the target target role, you know, description, right. yeah. the, the venture capitalist. So I was overjoyed about that. But you were also, you know, balancing that with some feedback about my decision making style, which was is very consultative. Yeah. Um, you know, and I asked a few people before this call and they said, yeah, it is very consultative. So. <laughs> That's a, I, that's a very subtle one for you, Ed. Yeah. So, but but you, you said you know that's great, that's great. But if my if Andy, you said if my house was on fire, I sure wouldn't want to see you turn up on the fire truck. <laughs> and, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, and I love it. I remember that. I, I didn't have to look that one up. That stayed. <laughs> that stayed with me. <laughs> The four or five people that are listening to this podcast, I think you're probably laughing as hard as I am right now. Yeah, yeah. They know me. They know me. Don't expect a quick decision out of this guy. Oh, shoot. I am so good at offering unsolicited advice. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you sharing that with the audience and refreshing our memories about that. When did you develop this interest in development of others? Is that something that you've just intuitively done ever since you got into some kind of management role? Did you did you even do it in school or, you know, in university? I, I'm just curious about when you first scratched that itch. Yeah, I think it's something that's really got stronger and stronger, say, since we met in South Africa, since I came to the Asia-Pacific region. I was already interested and I tried to be a, a manager who, you know, coached his team and I read books and and so on. But I'd say a lot of it came from, if I'm going to talk about hands-on, what the hands-on impact was, you were part of that. I have no embarrassment in absolutely saying you were significant in that. 
Alan Crooks, who was my boss in the region, who is one of the best people you could possibly hope to have as a as a leader. Right. He he nurtured that and encouraged it. I guess it was there. It I was think there. So too. Yeah. You know, my my belief for why I'm here, it's all about trying to work out what was I put here for? And my concern, my fear, is that we get to the end of the game and I haven't actually filled it all out. You know, I haven't right. I haven't fulfilled my potential in that area so i've been on that journey for quite a long time seeing you as someone who did the job that gave me a a role model of oh okay that's what the job can look like you can do it in a corporate environment because i tried being a teacher not really didn't want to be a teacher i was a assessor during my university i had one year where i went to france and taught in a school and i I had no that was just the easy option i did it because it was easy it was lazy i didn't have to try and get anything else didn't I shouldn't have been there never wanted to be a teacher uh, etc so it, it wasn't that sort of thing but I thought okay when you can help people in a corporate environment as I saw you do I thought okay maybe that's maybe that's something that's for me and, and it evolved over the the last 15 20 years and 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 also you know I went from reading books to delivering programs to then developing my own programs with Dr Peter Dry who you know as well so I read The Seven Habits. You know this about me. I read, I printed it. I don't know if you know this. I printed The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, So my first job out of university, I was working in a book factory. We printed The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People on Stephen Covey. And I've been exposed to it. And then I was having a bit of a difficult time very early in my relationship with my lady. And we went off for a little trip to Spain, to Barcelona, uh, just for like three, three or four nights. And I bought, I heard about this book. I've been printing it. I bought it at the airport and thought this will be an interesting read. I thought it was a business book. Uh-huh. And I started reading it and I realized, no, this isn't a business book. This is like the handbook for humans that we weren't issued with. And, and I loved that. So that got me into Stephen Covey. Then uh, a few years later, I was, yeah, fast forward quite a few years later, I finally got myself in a position in New Zealand where I was running the financial services company there. And I I then had the the leverage to say, right, let's get the Covey people in. Let's get this program going. And I got them to come in and deliver that. And I also said, but can you also make me a facilitator? Can you you train me up to facilitate internally within BMW? And they did that. And Alan was, you know, found out about this. He was delighted. He said, great, can you come to Australia and deliver the program here? (laughs) So I was, as a side hustle, I was going to Australia once a month and delivering a program. So we did about 100 people there. And then we trained up some people from that group. And then I went to, I don't know, I went to Thailand. I went to Japan. I went to Hong Kong. I went to India. I went to Korea, just around the region delivering the program. For the folks listening, the opportunity to get that many at-bats, that many opportunities to practice delivering and to practice your craft, that, that, that is so crucial to someone figuring out their style, what works and doesn't work for them. I, that was such a gift to get to be able to do that. Yeah. I went from clutching the manual on day one. <laughs> 
honestly, it's a massive manual. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's, I haven't seen it. No. It's like War and Peace. <laughs> um, but I had it on an iPad, so that was okay because I like my technology as well. So I put it on an iPad, and I was gripping this thing and talking, you know, going through step by you know, t- look over there, say this, look back, say that. <laughs> Point at this. Press play. It was just like that. Paint my numbers. Yeah, absolutely. But over time, I got more fluid with it. And yeah, there was enough natural uh, experience. Having read the book years ago, having lived it as closely as I could, I had I had examples when people oh, yeah. said, what about this? How would that work? How would it relate to me in our financial services environment? I was able to say, well, it's like this. It's like yeah. in the budget meeting or it's like this. And then, so that was giving me confidence. And then I met this wonderful guy, Peter. Are you helping me just talking? I usually do the questions, you see. Is this. <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing just fine. You're doing just fine. I am not used to talking this much. I've thrown myself. I've thrown myself. No. So then I went on a speaking course. Then people are thinking, yeah, that's a good idea. Do that. Go back on that. Get your money back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, seriously. They were good. They were good. It was in Australia. It's a US company, Bill Gove Speech Workshop. Absolutely amazing. Someone recommended, a lady called Mary Barrett recommended I go on it. So it was in Sydney, Australia. I went there and I met this guy called Peter Dry, who was a South African guy from Melbourne. He was working in a school career, international educational career. Wonderful guy. We hit it off on the three days. And a little while later, I was talking to him and he'd, he'd left his school. And I said, come and join us at BMW. Come and join yeah. us in the Australian business. And he came and he did L&D, learning and development for a couple of years. And that was like, oh, for me, that was amazing because I had my best, he was now my best buddy in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. And uh, we worked together and we created our own program, Clean Sheet of Paper, Authentic Leadership, and we put in all the things we wanted to have in it, and we started rolling that out. Sorry, I don't know if you wanted all that, Ed, but there you go. I wanted all of that. I love all of that. I think that, you know, the journey you've been on is just giving your, you know, getting enough practice and alternative ways of presenting and different content to present to the point that you've earned the right to really have confidence about what you're doing. You know, you've you've launched this new entity. And so why don't you tell the audience about what you're doing today, where you have now arrived? Yeah, sure. So when I when I left Tesla in 2016, I set up Aquili, which is my business, a Latin word. I obviously figured Latin was more widely spoken than it actually is. Uh, so I've had a I've had a lot of difficulty with that since. But uh, it, anyway, look, it's called Aquili. And we are a team. There's two parts to it. There's there's a team that draws on the expertise of my background. I can't walk away from 20 plus years in automotive finance because that is that's got value to it, and it's what people recognise me for. So part of the business is around automotive finance, and then there's the bit that I absolutely love, which I'm passionate about, which is the people side. So on the auto finance side, we've got a team of people. I've brought together a team of, we've been described as seasoned, you know, very experienced former execs who have worked for Tesla, BMW, Ford Credit. And we have set up and run businesses for those brands globally. And now we do 
we bring the expertise that we had there. We bring that to our clients on a what we call expertise as a service is the product. So it's a subscription service. So I, I hesitate to call it consulting because it's not. Consultants are really smart people who come in, they look at your business, they very quickly tell you what you should be doing, and they present it beautifully on slides. We are guys who've actually run those businesses, and we come in and we sit alongside your team and we help you get to where you want to be. And we do that on a subscription basis. So you basically buy a bank of hours from us and you draw those over, draw those down over a period as you want them. So that's one side of the business where I work with some wonderful people who fortunately really love that stuff. And what I like to focus on particularly, apart from the business and the network and and sharing with people, is... This, the people side. So the, the, the main product we've, we've got there is the Academy. We have the Aquili Academy and we bring together groups, small groups of people from equal levels within an organization for peer mentoring. And they could be within the same organization or they could be in different organizations. They can be in different countries because yep. we do this virtually and we get them to, we create a team. So we say it's like we turn individual development into a team sport. And the it. analogy I like to use is if you think about long distance runners who might go off high altitude somewhere training together and then they, they disappear, they split up and they go and run their individual races. But they all benefit from the fact they train together. And uh, what is it you say, Ed? A rising tide lifts all boats, that sort of thing. So we bring these people together, they train together, and then they go back to their organizations or their teams or their departments better for it. And we hold them accountable for what they do. So when they're with us, they share their problems, and then they commit to what they want to do about it. And then when they come back next month, we say, okay, so you said you were going to do this. How did it go? And if they struggled with it, fine, we help them a bit more but it gives them a reason to make sure they do the things that they said they were going to do. So that's, that's wonderful. There are very few people in the world that I can think of that I would be more upset in disappointing than you. If I was in your, one of your academies and uh, one of your cohorts, and I had said I was going to do something, I would rather tell Alan Crooks I didn't do it than tell you I didn't do it. Because the guilt that you would be able to lay on, ladies and gentlemen, this guy is the king of guilt. And he does it so gently. And it, it is so massive in terms of its ability to get you to perform. It's, it's remarkable. So I, I have no doubt that you do a great job at holding your cohorts, your teams accountable for the, whatever they said they're going to do individually and collectively. I could just imagine my kids nodding if they listen to oh, this. I, yeah, <laughs> Can I, you imagine yeah. the life they've had? It? Yeah, I bet they will confirm <laughs> this. I want to talk in, in not in theory, but maybe in relevant terms to people listening, you know, a, a practical situation. I'm curious about what you think COVID has done for leadership. Has COVID proven that leaders need to have a different arrow in their quiver? Does general leadership development and tenants? Did that serve people well in COVID? Or do you think it required something more than what we've traditionally told leaders they needed to do? Can I lead up to that by saying? Yeah, sure. So I just want to go back again to the influences and and what my thoughts on leadership are. So but I mentioned earlier, the seven habits of highly effective people. I was and I mentioned also creating a authentic leadership program with Dr. Peter Dry. 
And I was on my way to, I was on a flight from New Zealand to China. I've been to China. I did a half a day in China taster session for our authentic leadership. And then I was on a plane from China to Germany for uh, meetings at BMW headquarters and to deliver a day of the authentic leadership program to the CEOs from my region. And I was listening to the eighth habit. And I was trying to think how I was going to really get my colleagues on board with why we were doing this focus on leadership. And I was drifting in and out, but I heard Stephen Covey start talking about when he used to address large groups of people. He travel all around the world addressing large groups, and he would ask them how many people think that they're, for the vast majority of the workforce in their organisation are not able to their roles do not require or allow them to use all of their skill or intelligence or talent or capability. Right. And the majority of people would put their hand up right. and show that they agreed with that. And a similar proportion, he said, would also agree that they felt the pressure to deliver more from less every year. And that just struck me between the between the eyes and I thought that is absolutely fascinating because it's shocking. But isn't it also wonderful? Because what we're saying is we need to get more out of everybody every year. But the good thing is we're leaving a lot on the table Correct. already because we're not letting them deliver what they they could deliver. Right. So I thought, how can we solve this? What's holding them back? And that's when I came up with the vision for Aquilae, which is 100% at 100%. So it's saying we want 100% of your people delivering 100% or performing at 100% of what they could be performing at today already if we just took away the things that are slowing them down or stopping them. So hugely ambitious vision, but that's fine. So 100% at 100%. And I started to think then, well, what's stopping people from performing? And I talked to a lot of people. I continue to read lots of books and I gave it a lot of thought, a lot of early hours in the morning waking up with ideas. And I came to the conclusion that there's four main things. And some of this was influenced by Patrick Lencioni, who you know very well, Ed, as well. So you'll recognize some of this. But I came to the conclusion that there's four main fundamentals, if you like, that you need to have working in order to get people performing well. And the questions that I would ask people, and I am coming to your question in a moment, the questions I'd ask people to identify which is the biggest problem for them are, first of all, how clear are you on what you're supposed to be doing and how you're doing against that? So how clear are you on what you're supposed to be doing? Second question would be, how well equipped are you in terms of knowledge, skills, experience, mindset, resources? How well equipped are you to do what you're supposed to be doing? Mm -hmm. Thirdly, how is the behavior of the people around you supporting you to perform at a high level? And that means at work and at home. So if you're leaving the house every morning, having had a blazing row with your partner, you're probably not going to be performing at 100% when you get to the office. So how is the behavior of the people around you supporting you to perform at a high level? And finally, how much does it mean to you what you're doing? How much does this mean to you? Is your heart in it? And those are very broad areas. But I, I think if we, from a leader's point of view, if I look at my team, if I look at myself, first of all, and then I look at individuals in my team, then I look at the team as a whole, then I look at the business as a whole. And if I ask myself those four questions, I can identify where my priorities lie 
and what things are holding people back. And I think that has always been the case. Those those have always been factors. Yeah, I think I if we go back to, you know, my grandparents. I only knew one grandfather. He worked in cotton mills in Manchester in the north of England. So factories, you know, spinning cotton. My other grandfather worked in a hat factory making hats. Now, back in those days, there was a different type of management required, you know, than there is now. So it's been evolving since then. And I think what COVID has done has accelerated that. It's made it, you need to do the same things, but maybe you could have got away with not being as good at it before, but you can't get away with not being as good at it now. There's more complexity. And with things like the hybrid workplace that's emerging, you need to be much more outcome-based. You can't be just thinking about, are they here? Are they in front of me? Can I see what they're doing? You have to be so much more sophisticated in what you're measuring and creating that environment. You always talk about this, Ed, creating the environment where people can exceed and succeed. So that's, I think you just have to be, yeah, I'm sorry, but you have to be better. You have to have more compassion. Now you have to really genuinely understand the stress that people have been through as a result of this. We all have our individual stories. I was talking to one of my clients the other day. He's actually lost a team member who took our own life a few weeks ago. And this is just next level sort of impact on, on oh, yeah. people. So yeah. you, you have to be, I am just going off on one now, aren't I? But you have to be very, you have to be better, better than you were. Um, deal with the complexity. He's Andy Follows. He's the founder of Aquili. And I will say this quite candidly, if I was in pursuit, a serious pursuit of better knowing myself and getting better at my craft, he would be one of the very few people that I would reach out to to do that. I mean that with all sincerity. I think the work you've done to prepare yourself to be able to help people and to provide venues and avenues to be able to discover what we need to know is, is so powerful, Andy. So I'm, I could be more pleased about where you are and what you've gotten to. You know, we owe it to the listeners to try to give them that one thing. If you've ever seen the movie City Slickers, Jack Palance was the guy curly in the in the show and he was trying to describe to billy crystal that one thing that really most matters in life well i want to know the one thing that you think most matters for a leader today to be successful to run a more successful business what's that one thing if they only can do one thing what would it be i would like to break it into two parts first part would be to accept the idea that i we've talked about in this call that your people are being held back by things that are outside of their control and within your control today. They could perform better today without you spending any money. They don't need a budget. If you just acknowledge that they're being held back by things that are outside of their control and within your control, and you spend some time identifying which is the biggest handbrake or blocker to them getting closer to 100% of their current capability. I'm not talking about what they could become. I'm talking about what they already are that we're stopping them from bringing. Right. And identify, is it because of the behavior of the people around them? Is it because they're not clear on what they're supposed to be doing or they don't know how they're doing against that goal? Is it because their heart's not in it? Or is it because they're not equipped? You know, they don't have the knowledge, skills, resources right to do it right. and what can you do to fix that right away powerful stuff 
He's a wonderful human being and he's a friend. If people want to reach out, and I'm sure they will, Andy, to learn more, what's the best way for them to contact you? I'm going to give you my email, Ed, which is andy at aquilae.co.uk. That's aquilae, A-Q-U-I-L-A-E dot C-O.uk. And can I ask them to listen to my podcast? Ed? You is sure that can. Okay? It's a shameless plug and I love it. So, so. I'm getting better at this shameless Good, podcast. good. And what is that podcast? The podcast is called Career View Mirror. We look back on the careers of leaders, rising stars and senior leaders in the automotive and automotive finance industries, but I'll let you into a secret. It's not all about cars because you can probably tell from talking to me, I'm more about the people than I am about the cars. So we, we talk about their career journeys. It's on all of the streaming, you know, major streaming sites. It's called Career View Mirror with Andy Follows. We have an Instagram, which is at Career View Mirror. So if all you can remember is Instagram at Career View Mirror, go there and you'll find who's coming next on our guest list. I love the name Career View Mirror. That that should be trademarked, registered and all the above. Yeah. Good stuff. Andy, you're such a good friend. I appreciate all you do for not only me, but for, for so many. And you're so generous in your time and, and your uh, willingness to spread what you know with and for others. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for being with us today on the Ed Epley Experience. It's been a huge pleasure, Ed. Thank you very much for having me and for all of the support you continue to give me. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's theepleygroup.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills. 